We're in the second week of a series that has been um, monumental for me personally. It's always nice when the preacher uh, is, is getting preached to first as he studies. Hopefully it in, impacts the uh, quality of what he says when he gets up here. By he, I mean me. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm just getting thrown around a lot in my uh, own uh, Christ walk uh, with this stuff because we're talking about something that I essentially talk to you about every week. I've, I've told you before, I think preaching is basically like serving Mexican food. I've got like five messages and I just kind of, you know, switch it up the ingredients uh, a little bit differently every week so that one week it's tacos, the next week it's enchiladas, the next week it's the chalupa. You just, but you're basically getting the same things every time, uh, you know, grace and faith and love and truth and, 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 and I just keep bringing those. But, but here's what I figured out as we're walking through this series called Mastering Your Mind or Master Your Mind or, or I should have called it Let God Be the Master of Your Mind. That would have been a better title. But as we're going through this, here's what I'm figuring out. Every week, I'm trying to engage your minds with the truth that we find in God's word. If the truth is the actual Mexican food ingredients, the tray are the ideas, the thoughts, the, the things that I'm saying that, that you're rattling, even as I'm saying them right now, rattling around your brains. Now, some of us aren't paying attention yet. If you heard me say that and you're like, oh, maybe I should, welcome. Hi, my name's Mark. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but, but our brains are the homes of, of, of our lives. Essentially, it starts here between our temples. Our lives always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. It's just how it works. And so we're examining this, talking about it, uh, hopefully in ways that are formative for us as we seek to make God the master of our minds. What, what he's going to do is he's going to start unpacking and unraveling uh, some of the things that we've thought that we shouldn't have been thinking that have been impacting negatively the lives that we're living. Last week we uh, started this series by talking about strongholds and in Paul's letter to the uh, church at Corinth he talks about engaging uh, stinking thinking on a spiritual level. He says it this way, for the weapons of our warfare and this fight between our temples are not the flesh, but uh, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, I'm not fighting with the world's weapons. I'm fighting with what God has equipped me to fight with, and that's his truth. His, his, his armor, he might have been referring to what he had written already to the Ephesians when he wrote to them and said, hey man, put on the armor of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against all kinds of things that we can't see. And so in this spiritual battle, arm yourselves with the truth that God has given us in his word. He talks about the truth in terms of that armor and he calls it the sword of the spirit. I got this for Christmas, I've been waiting to use it. <sighs> My son Cooper is a huge Star Wars guy. And I love that it's green, green means go. When we think of the sword of the spirit, uh, the, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit and it allows us to move forward so that as we have uh, clashes with falsehoods and the strongholds of the lies that are in us, we can fight and win our battles. All right, that was fun. Was that fun for you? That was fun for me. Anyway, that's what we talked about last week. We, uh, we, we, we studied there in, 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 in 2 Corinthians the, the, the idea of this, this whole militaristic metaphor. Strongholds were these fortresses that were in cities of the time. If the walls fell, everybody went to the Alamo or the, the stronghold, the fortress inside the city, and they just hold up there holding, hoping for reinforcements. Uh, that's where Satan, as he tempts us with his lies, and our flesh and our sin likes to hide the untruths that exist in our heads. They, they go to the fortresses of our heads. They become these almost unimpenetrable, uh, or impenetrable, unimpenetrable, hard to get inside things. 
Uh, and, and so we talked about uh, in this series, we want to identify the strongholds that exist in our minds. We want to uh, define them so that we can defeat them. This is a series that's going to require more of you than just coming and nodding. I'm going to ask you to do the hard work of identifying. And here's the deal. I look out in this room, I know many of you love you with all my heart, have shared in the, in the discipleship process with you for many years, but here's what I know about all of us. We all got a little funk. We all got a little something, something in there that God needs to deal with. No matter how far we progress and how far forward we move in our lives with Christ, there is always something that seeps in that needs to be dealt with. And so I am challenging us as God's church to submit ourselves to the scan of the spirit and to identify the greatest strongholds that exist in our mind that hold us back. And in, 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 in identifying them, seek to replace those strongholds with the truth. We're going to talk about that more today. But Jesus talked about it this way. He said this in John chapter 8. He said, listen, as he talks to some Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What a great discipleship definition. What's a disciple? It's someone who abides in the words of the one that they're following. They tuck in behind him and, and they walk wherever he walks, doing whatever he does, thinking whatever he thinks. We abide in the words of Jesus if we're truly disciples. And as we do that, look what it says in verse 32. Say it with me. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Who's quoted that one before? You had that good piece of pie and you're like, mmm, I have found the truth and the truth has set me free. We take things from the Bible and we kind of relegate them to the stupid sometimes. Are you with me? But what Jesus is saying here is profound. It's lofty. It's massive in its scope. If we'll just abide in his words, we will find the truth, capital T, the design that God has intended for us from the beginning before sin messed us up. We will find the truth and that truth will set us free, strongholds, broken down, lies, destroyed. Today we want to talk about fixing our thoughts. When I say fixing, what do you think of? Someone tell me what's it mean to fix something. Your hair. Thank you, ma'am. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> she said repair, but I thought it said your hair. And I was like, whoa. I, didn't, I tried to comb it before I came out. Anyway, uh, it's hard when you got to take, you know, got all these quick changes. Anyway, uh, repair is what you said, is what you meant. Yeah, repair. Who thought that when I said fix something? Something's broken, we fix it. And certainly that is in play here as we talk about our minds. There are broken things jangling around our brains that need fixing. Anybody agree? Okay. But here's what the Bible usually means when it talks about fixing it means focusing. Like in Hebrews where it says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, it's, it's about focus. It's about uh, having more focus in our focus and setting aside the stuff of this world. Now the Bible has lots to say about this. In Colossians chapter three, Paul tells the church there to set their minds on things of above, uh, uh, that are above and not on things that are on earth. Everybody jive with that? 
How about this one? As Paul's writing from prison, we'll get to this a little bit later in the series on a, on a deeper level, but he says this. Uh, from prison, by the way, can we all maybe expect something a little different from Paul? Like if you and I are in prison and we're writing our friends, are we talking about, you know, the mistreatment, the food? The food's terrible. I can't believe they serve this stuff. You know, and just how hard it is. I mean, I think a lot of times uh, that can be what uh, populates our, uh, you know, uh, correspondence. But Paul here from the get-go as he writes the Philippians, is overwhelmingly positive. He focuses, focuses on joy, and as he finishes, he, he takes his final words in his letter, pretty much the last paragraph or two, and he starts it like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and honorable, just and pure, whatever is lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think that stuff. In other translations of this verse, the, the actual words are, fix your thoughts on these things. I'm guessing, uh, because I know a lot of you, everybody's like with me so far. Is everybody with me so far? This is what we should do. Now, if we do this, Paul goes on in other parts of Scripture to let us know that, that good things come from fixing our minds on things of heaven, on fixing our minds on the lovely and pure and the excellent he says in Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Verse 6 says, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is what? Here's the result. Death. If you focus on the world and what the world has to give you, if you focus on the, 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 the strongholds and the lies that exist in your mind and just keep looping on those things, the end result of that is destruction, death, darkness. But if you set your mind on the spirit, on the things that Jesus has revealed to us in his words, on, on, on his word, on the things that he has for us, then the result of that is what? Life and peace. The life that he has meant for us to experience and have. This isn't like foreign or a new concept. It's garbage in, garbage out, right? Who's heard that before? It pertains to our diet. It pertains to our media you know, consumption. If we, if, we, if we put garbage in, what's going to jangle around in our hearts and our guts is going to come out uh, as, as uh, garbage out. And so, we should fix our thoughts on the, the, the good and the right and the lovely and the excellent. It'll set us up for the life that God intends us to have. Um, raise your hands in here. If you know that that's true, but it's super hard to do anyway. Anybody experience that? Here, I, I, I share this with you. I've done it for like 18 years or 17 years, however long I've been here. But I, anybody seen me do this before? There's certain areas of our life where this, we, we get it. We think thoughts that are lovely and pure and excellent. And we are, by God's grace, uh, bringing our best versions of ourselves to certain areas of our lives. But everybody has this one hand tucked behind their back where these certain relationships uh, exist or these certain tendencies, these uh, thorns in our flesh, as Paul puts them, uh, are, are kind of not getting the same treatment as the stuff out here. We have this, you know, hey, I can adapt and, and become who Christ wants me to be in this stuff, but this area, I just don't know. And there's been times in our lives where we've said, you know what, I should haul this out and start working on it. I know it's there. I recognize that it's a flaw in my character. It's, it's something that I keep going, you know, back to over and over again. It keeps bringing things low in my life. But we're like Paul, if that's an encouragement to you. Now, he had that kind of stuff where 
he would do the things that he did not want to do. It says it this way in the New, Ling, uh, New Living Translation in Romans chapter 7. Paul says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Confess, anybody? Okay, the rest of you will get there. But the, those who had their hands up, great. Yeah, I want to do what was right, but I just, I don't. Instead, I do what I hate. I do what I know is wrong. I do what I know is going to bring a bad result. And it's like I can't help myself. Spouses get this. I mean, people in general do, but spouses especially. We know, after however many years of marriage, how to push each other's buttons. And we'll get in those arguments. And it, 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 who likes to win? I like to win. Eleanor will tell you I am a lawyer when it comes to arguing. And I aspire to victory in all of our arguments, even if I happen to be wrong. Why should that stop me, right? Let's just go and see where this ends up. I might win. And so there are times, I've gotten better over 29 years of marriage. I'm praying for this to continue to progress. But there have been times in my marriage where I knew the sentence that I could say that would either, you know, lock her down or maybe even falsely prove my point. And I had that conjured in my head. And the spirit side of me said, Mark, don't say that. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit can like in nanoseconds see what's going on through your head and be like, seriously, we're going to throw that into this? That's not going to end well at all. You know that. In fact, you, you know, uh, arguments four, five, and six in this one should have never been under. This is DEFCON 5. We're, this is it. And as the words are coming out of my mouth, the Spirit is saying to me, you idiot. And then I, I've hurt my wife. I've ruined our night, perhaps our weekend. All because I couldn't do what I knew to do, and I did instead what I hate. We're funky like that, right? We can know what's best and choose it not. There's a donut shop that's on the way home from my where I play golf, and I'm trying not to eat donuts right now, I'll be honest with you. And uh, so, so my, my method of not eating donuts is to not drive the donut shop, not drive by there. Good, good move, right? Yeah. Except my brain is overpowering my brain. Here's why. You know what? Uh, we who are uh, tied to the strongholds, the lies that our, you know, that our, lies, our minds tell us, we, we can uh, create other lies around those lies that somehow move us towards what we don't need. So like uh, the other day I was driving past the donut, or I wasn't driving past the donut shop, but halfway to where I was you know, going, I was like, you know what, I do need to pick up some coffee. And uh, there's a grocery store right by that donut shop that carries the coffee I like. And so I'll just go in there and get coffee. And so I head towards the donut shop, which is next to the grocery store. But like an idiot, I stop at the donut shop and I'm, I'm double fisting crullers all of a sudden, right? Uh, on my way to get my coffee. And I'm like, how does this happen? <laughs> I'll tell you how it happens. Our eyes are fixed, or our minds are fixed on other things. Got a new friend here. This is Ted the Head. Everybody say hi to Ted. Hi, hi guys. Anyway, uh, Ted's this uh, bio biology teacher's tool. Now, if I took it all out, I could show you all the parts of our brain. 
but this is an actual model of an actual human skull and, and the actual human brain. And I've always been fascinated by our brains. They're ugly. Have you noticed this about brains? They're like nasty to look at, but this little three pound blob of gray matter runs your life. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, I'll say it again, I'm not a brain scientist, and like I said last week, I'm proving I'm not a brain scientist by calling it brain scientist. Everybody's with me on that? But, but I've, I've started to study a little bit about our brains. And here's what I found out. You know inside our brains, there's this thing called the reticular activating system. I didn't know that. The reticular activating system is basically the system by which all the neurons in our brains fire and create for us these neural pathways that become our patterns in life. Now, it's not these actual, you know, divots on the surface of our brains, but inside there, there are actual ruts that are created as we repeat behaviors and learn things anew. So, like, when you're a little kid and, uh, you know, people come in and sit over, you know, hang over your crib and keep smiling at you going like, hey, hey, you learn that people like smiles. And so the first time you actually, you know, had gas and went... And they went, he smiled, your brain registered there. That's a good thing. I'll keep doing that because it gets the result that I want from the person who's hovering over my face. You uh, get more sophisticated. As you cry, uh, adults tend to your needs, and so you use crying for everything. And sometimes, if you are not checked on that, you will continue to cry and, and continue to run the adults who are in your life by your crying until they figure out, hey, wait a minute, i got to stop doing this. But we're like that. We create these pathways, these, these patterns, and they shape our lives. Think about it. When you, when you first try doing something, it's hard. Like riding a bike, remembers learning to ride a bike. The first time you got on there, you weren't used to the balance of two tires and, and having to pedal and make something go forward in some other way than this. Uh, and so you initially had problems with it. But then you got so good at it that you didn't even think about it while you were doing it. Isn't that true? And that's why we say of something that was, uh, you know, something that we did a long time ago that we needed to kind of get a, a, you know, a brush, uh, brush up on. We call it, well, it's like riding a bike, right? Because it's just become instinctual to us. Our brains created the pattern that makes that not a problem anymore. The scientists call it, probably something more sophisticated than this, but the word I could understand was automaticity. It's being automatic. It's like some of you got in your cars this morning and you drove here, didn't even think about it. You didn't decide on the route or, or maybe you even went like, you know, long spans of not paying attention to the fact that you were driving because you drive so much, it just comes natural. You don't have to think about it. Anybody been on that long highway run where you start daydreaming and it's like 75 miles later and you're like, how'd I get here? without hitting other cars. It's automaticity. It's like uh, dogs in backyards, follow me. These ruts that we create in our minds, they just become the paths that we follow, that we travel in. Like, like a dog who is trapped in a, in a yard with a chain link fence and can see everybody going past. And, and, and so they've basically posted up on the side of the yard that faces the road and they just do this all day long. Has anybody seen this dog? It's just where they've decided. They know they can't go through there. And so the closest I can get to biting someone is this. 
and I'm just going to do this all day long. There's this one, uh, you know, rut, dog run, whatever you want to call it in my neighborhood. The dog has done it so much, it's like three or four inches deep. The rest of the yard is nice and green, and then there's this trail right along his fence, and at the ends of it, because he's like a slalom skier, you know, he's basically dug up piles of dirt. There's mounds of dirt at the end of his run where he's kind of kicked off and run back and forth all day long. And we look at those dogs and we're like, dummies. But here's the deal. You and I are up against all kinds of fences in our lives, things that are beyond our control. And what we've learned to do in those situations is run up and down that fence with whatever method we use to cope in that situation, whether it's our stress or losing in some fight or, 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 or you know, somehow not you know, having a control in some relationship. And so we've created, without even thinking about it, because of our sin nature and our flesh, these little dog runs in our minds. And we stay stuck in them. And whenever something comes up, it's our automatic reaction to go in that direction. And this is dangerous. Can we all agree? Like if you, if you live too much without thinking and just reacting, running up and down in these negative ruts, you keep, like have you ever met someone who keeps having hard times in relationships over and over again and you're like, hey, there's a common denominator here. You're in those relationships. Now I'm not saying it's not the other person's fault at all, but I'm saying you're probably bringing something to this relationship that you're not even seeing yourself do and you keep running up against that fence and making a mess in the relationships of your life. Can I tell a quick story? This is, so the other day, just so you can see how dangerous automaticity is. Uh, I was getting ready to uh, play golf Friday morning and I, I was sore from uh, a workout I had done the day before so I thought I'd take some leave and so I went to the cupboard where we keep all of our pills and I'm talking to Eleanor as we're getting ready for our day and before I knew it, I had taken out two sleeping pills, which is one more than I need and I had popped both of them in my mouth thinking they were a leave. Has anybody done this? No. Oh, just me, okay. Uh. <laughs> So that one's just me. All right. Uh, well, I want to tell you, taking two sleeping pills at 6.30 in the morning is a brand new day. I'm just telling you right now. It is a different experience. I was so loose on that front nine. Took a little nap on number four. Anyway. Uh, but that's the kind of thing. That's when I, when I, I just wasn't looking. I just automatically went to the pills. The only pills I ever take are a sleeping pill every once in a while. And so I just, without thinking, because I was distracted by something else, off I went. And, and we do that, and maybe not that, but we do that in our lives. And it's because, guys, it's because we're willing to give God this part, but in this stuff, we're just allowing the ruts to run our worlds. So, I'm going to skip down to what we need to do. Can I do that? Uh, we're going to read a couple verses pretty familiar to a bunch of us in here, but so formative in this conversation. When it comes to us identifying and taking down strongholds, seeing and, and working out of the ruts that our minds get ourselves in, um, there's probably no uh, couple verses in the Bible more um, direct in dealing with these issues than the ones we're going to read. If we really want to uh, fix our thoughts and, and fix them on the things that are lovely and pure and right, to set our mind on the things of heaven and not on earth, to, 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 to be in the spirit as we think as opposed to in the flesh or in the world, how do we do that? 
Paul said it in Romans chapter 12. We need to daily, constantly, consistently renew our minds. We need to, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes when, I, when I'm literally thinking the wrong things, I do this. Mm. Has anybody ever done this? It's, no, try it. It's fun. When your head is full of the wrong things, do whatever it takes by the grace of God to get that stuff out of there so that you can get back to the truth that will set you free. Are you with me? And a lot of times, guys, you know, uh, I'll confess, as, as a young man growing up, when I would have lustful thoughts, still do from time to time, but when I would have lustful, that would be the first thing I'd do. I'd just have this like Tourette's thing and people would look at me and be like, I don't, now, now if you ever see me do that, you're gonna know. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> but even that physical move is just a reminder of what internally I want to be doing. I don't want to give my mind to the things that are not of God. And to be able to accomplish that, there needs to be this renewal, a renewal of our minds. So let me walk through these familiar verses just one more time with us and, and leave us with some challenges as we go. It says in John, or John, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to stop and see, okay, what was he just talking about then? There's a therefore. There must be a reason that the therefore is therefore. And so just think back. Look back. And in, and in the writing of Romans, I, we could probably stop off somewhere sooner than this in, in the previous things that have been written. But I think all 11 chapters are what Paul is talking about. And I don't have time to preach all 11 uh, of the fir first 11 chapters of Romans right now. But he talks about, you know, uh, we, the, the, the righteous are justified by faith. He talks about so many amazing things. I've read some of them this morning. But he says, in light of all these things, therefore, I appeal to you, I, I beg you, I'm, I'm telling you and I'm asking you, in light of all these things, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, he doesn't go right to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's he say? He says, by the mercies of God. Can we just pause for a second and rejoice in the fact that we, in our inability, are buoyed by the super ability of a God who can do all things in this process of renewing our minds? By the mercies of God, you and I can be renewed in our thinking. He has the power. He has the strength. He's willing to give it to us. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, it says, to God, which is your spiritual worship. This, this is an interesting translation. Uh, other translations, maybe even the one you're looking at, translates that last phrase, your reasonable act of worship. It's because the word spiritual there is the actual Greek word logikon, which can be translated spiritual. But in most places, it's translated like it sounds, reasonable, logical, logicon. And so what Paul is saying is like, listen, in light of everything I've told you for 11 chapters, the only reasonable thing that you can do in light of God's mercies to you is to give all of yourself as a sacrifice to him. Make yourself a living sacrifice. He goes right to the Jewish temple, knowing that many of his friends in Rome are from that tradition. He says, guys, it's just like, what we did growing up. You got, and, and, and this 
sacrifice that he's talking to is actually a, a, a complete sacrifice, a whole sacrifice. There were some sacrifices where, you know, the priests would take a portion of the meat for themselves to be able to, you know, provide for their meals and stuff like that. But there were certain sacrifices in the scriptures that were called Holocaust sacrifices. Oh, where have I heard that before? Well, from World War II, the Jewish Holocaust was horrible. But the Jewish Holocaust got its name from the Jewish temple because there were certain sacrifices given in the temple that were Holocaust sacrifices. That means completely burnt. Everything went. Nothing left out. So what, what Paul's saying is, God's not interested in this, y'all. He doesn't want just part of your life or the easy pieces. He wants all of it on the altar, all the time, holy and acceptable to him. It's the only reasonable thing that we can be doing. How do we do that? Well, two things, and I'll let you go. The first thing is this. We need to leave the ruts of our wrong thinking. That's what it means, leave the ruts of our wrong thinking. That's what it means when Paul says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed is the Greek word schema, from which we get like schemes or schematics. Don't be, uh, in some translations, uh, conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't settle for what the world says is smart, for what you've always sensed in your heart is smart. Has anybody got one of those things in your life where you're like, this is the smartest thing I can do? This is the best move in this situation that I have. And you have convinced yourself that this is smart. <laughs> I talked to you last week about Diet Coke. I hope I'm not you know, ruining Diet Coke for everybody forever. But for me, this was a, like a stupid one, but it was a stronghold in my life. And here's the deal. <laughs> I convinced myself that if I drank this, I could eat whatever I wanted. Just so we're clear on the science, that's not true. Just because there is zero calories in this does not mean, first of all, that this is good for you at all, and secondly, that it nullifies the calories of the uh, strawberry shortcake that you're eating. It doesn't. But in my super warped, self-justifying mind, that's the rut that I kept running in, as over and over again, people would tell Fat Mark, hey, bro, you're killing yourself. Quit eating like that. I'd be like, no, I mean, I'm drinking Diet Coke. It totally makes up for it. I'm so embarrassed sometimes when I preach. <laughs> We're not to be conformed to the old patterns, to the world's ideas. We need to leave it. I take my dog for a walk in our neighborhood, and, and we're doing fine. He's just sniffing along. We're having a great time. And then another dog comes around the corner, and walk is over. Does anybody have this dog? Like my dog, I think he's just being friendly, but there's, there's, there's nothing else in the world at that moment for Toby except that dog. And he'll just, he'll get on his back legs as he, you know, strains against his walking vest, and he's just like, right? He weighs 11 pounds. It's pretty easy. But I just, you know, basically yank him across the yard, <clears throat> and he comes, and, and does that stop him? No, he's just farther from where he wants to go, and so he gets a running start and does it again. We do this a couple times. Okay, all right. And then finally, the owner says, tell him to leave it. And I get the dog's attention, and you can see him. I get his attention, and I'm like, hey, leave it. Just leave it. Let the, let, you don't want anybody, any, any piece of that German shepherd. You do not want to be near that dog. 
You are an appetizer in his world. Leave it. But we need to have that mentality. Once we've identified the strongholds in our lives, as we're going to do throughout this series, we need to be able to look at them and say, no, that's not me anymore. By the grace of God, by the mercies of God, I have the opportunity to be this holy and acceptable sacrifice, even this part. And I'm going to leave it and not settle for the stupidity of running along this fence and choosing this method and how I live my life. Instead of running the ruts, the wrong ideas, the ruts that we have, we need to let God dig us a trench for his truth. Everybody gets the difference between a rut and a trench? Let me share with you if you don't. Ruts just happen. Like we don't even know they're there and all of a sudden they're there because we've just been doing what we're doing and all of a sudden we'll find ourselves in a rut. Someone told me once that a rut is a hole with the ends kicked out and you're just kind of stuck. But you don't know how you got there. It's not like you went looking for it. You just made it because you chose this pathway over and over again and got stuck in it. But that's a rut. Trenches are way different. Trenches, trenches are intentional. They're determined by the digger. And trenches, as far as I know, almost always are dug so that something useful can be transported to someone who needs it. Like when we were, uh, you know, redoing our house six years ago, some of you were here back then when I was preaching about it, but Tico came to us and says, hey, we're not going to have poles that go to your house anymore because they're going to cut through everybody's, you know, and we're just not doing that, you know, hurricanes and all that stuff. So we're going we're gonna to bury your wires that go to your house. It's like, great, how much is that going to cost? They told me. I was like, yeah. And so my neighbor Zach and, and my other neighbor Walt and I said, hey, what if we dug that trench for you? Would that save us some money? Turns out it saved us like, I don't know, $10,000, $15,000 to just do it ourselves. And so we're like, okay. So my buddy Walt is a, you know, a house builder, and he, he knows all the construction guys, and so he rented a couple you know, uh, scoop digger things. Again, I don't know the names, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and Zach and I got on those things, and we dug 100 yards of trench, roughly, uh, about four feet deep, all along the road that goes into our house. He started here, I started there. It was actually a marvel of uh, modern mechanics. It was fun. It was like I was in my own big Tonka truck. <laughs> but uh, we st sat out there in the hot summer sun digging this trench because we wanted power to come from the road to our homes. That's what a trench is for. Now, the trench that we get to, uh, to, to, to dig in our lives, uh, opposed to the ruts that we exist in, is a trench that brings God's truth to the situations that we face in life, to the relationships that naturally struggle. Why? Because there's two people in them, and people are jerks, and they make mistakes, and they choose ruts instead of truth. And so, you want a, you want a happy marriage? Both of you commit to getting out of your ruts and digging truth trenches towards each other. You, you want to at least be civil in your relationship with your kids? And listen, I don't care. Not my circus, not my monkey. Whatever they're doing, let them do it. But you bring to your side of the relationship God's truth and apply that to whatever you face in that part of your life. See, in, in essence, what, what Paul is reiterating here is an idea that opens the whole book of Psalms for us. Has anybody read Psalm 1? 
It's one of the first passages that I ever studied. And at the end of this series, what I'm, what I'm basically going to tell you in different ways every week is that you have to understand what God knows to be true, what his truth is, so that you can take his truth and replace the lies that are in your life, whether it's the strongholds or the ruts or anything that's going on, his truth over your lies. Are you with me? And over and over in scripture, you get this message. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Psalm 1, I memorized it in the King James when I was eight years old. It goes like this. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, for his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Eight years old. That's been in my head for a long time. I've always wondered why it was the first passage beyond, you know, beyond John 3.16. Everybody gets that one first. But this is the first passage I ever studied or ever memorized in my whole life as a Christian. And now I understand as I preach this message to you, this is, this is the whole head thing in one, just like Romans 12 is. It's this, hey, listen, blessed, approved of by God is the man who does not walk with idiots, stand with idiots, sit down with idiots who would prescribe the ways of the world. The blessed man instead is someone who meditates on the laws or the truths of our God. How often? Day and night. So that in every decision, I told you last week, we, make, we have 70,000 thoughts a day and we make 35,000 decisions. And I'm not saying that you, know, you need to ultra consult God as to what you're going to put on your potatoes this afternoon. But I'm saying in the big ones, God wants to have the say and the sway in your life. And if you're not thinking about him and what he has to say, then you're going to bring the stuff from the rut instead of the truth from the trench. I'm reading this book by a guy named Craig Rochelle, Winning the Battle in Your Mind. And in it, he talks about this. He talks about meditation. On his law, does he meditate day and night? He says, as, as you walk through and as you uh, identify and define these strongholds that are in your life, you need to find the verses in Scripture that will confront those falsehoods and lead you to the truth that God has for you. He puts it this way, write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Because here's the deal, meditation, many people have heard about meditation. In the Eastern religions, meditation is the emptying of your head. In the Christian religion, the meditation that God prescribes is the filling of your head. You don't empty it, you fill it with his truth and his ways. So let me give you one just as an example. You guys are getting the bonus track. The world is out to get me. I'll never succeed. Some of you believe that. You're listening to me right now and you look like fine, outstanding American people. But inside, you think you're a loser. Here's what Romans 8 has to say to you, paraphrased. God is for me. So who can be against me? My God is working all things together for his glory and my good. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me and gives me strength. That's the truth. You're not a loser. If you're with God, walking for God, you're a conqueror in him. Some of you are control freaks. All, all of us are. But some of you got it really bad. And you feel out of control way too often. 
And you're convinced that when you're out of control, you need something to calm you down. So you go to your rut, whatever it is. But you need to replace that rut with this truth. Dig a trench to this. When I'm stressed, I turn to God, not food, drugs, alcohol, anger, fear. Fill in the blank. I come to Jesus because he is what I really need. He is my strength, my fortress, fortress, my refuge, and my shield. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. The word there, meditate, means ruminate. And ruminate is this word that actually uh, is how we describe in the, in the uh, farm world the chewing of the cud. Has anybody ever heard of this? It's a gross thing. I mean, it just looks awful. But cows, you know, they got like a bunch of, they got a bunch of stomachs. And the reason they got a bunch of stomachs is because when they chew their grass, they chew the grass initially and they get the nutrients from that grass, but then they send that, they swallow it, they send that grass to a first stomach. It's not the stomach stomach, it's the first stomach. It kind of stays there, the body soaks up the nutrients that have been you know, beaten down. And then the cow, have a great lunch, spits up his cud and starts chewing it again. And he chews that and chews that and chews that until he can swallow it again and sometimes he'll chew it two, three times. Always with this in mind, I'm going to soak every possible piece of nutrient out of this mouthful of grass that I can get before I pass it on to the rest of my digestive system and get rid of it. Oh, that we would have that kind of dedication to the Word of God. That we would not just come here and hear a 45-minute message on this truth, but we would leave here. And we would meditate on Romans 12, 1 and 2. We would meditate on Psalms 1 and 2. We would investigate the, the, the ruts that are happening in our lives and apply the things that we've learned here today. That we would wake up at night and be praying to God to free us from the fortresses, the strongholds of our lives and set us loose to the freedom that his truth can bring. If we would just do the work by God's grace, he would bring the peace. But no, we just kind of nibble. Taste, uh, and it never becomes a part of us. May God lead us to lives that ruminate, that chew on the cud of his truth and soak up every possible nutrient in it so that we can have the life he's desired us to have. Will you come back? We'll talk more about this next week. Here's my prayer for you, that God will continue, if he hasn't already, to help you identify the strongholds in your lives. So that by his grace, you can get out of those ruts and replace those lies with his truth. Let's pray. God, thanks for your grace to us. Um, my hope for us as, as we walk through these days together, uh, thinking about thinking, is that you'd free us from the stuff that maybe we didn't even know was holding us back. And that you'd not just deal with our symptoms, but deal with the core issues of the choices that we make, that you transform us by the renewing of our minds, God. Help us to dig trenches to your truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me?